Hello and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name is Josh Ayler, joined by Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, Connor Tapp throughout the show with questions and comments. How are we doing today, guys? Uh, good. You looking tan, yeah. Big Blue. Where were you? I was down in Florida for a couple days. Oh, yeah? Uh, went down with the Even wife. on game week? Uh, like yeah. a week one yeah. vacation? So, okay, of course, we've been sitting on this all week, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I knew this was coming. It's hard when you take a week one vacation because it means other people have to step up and do your work for you. Well, <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, well, I mean, my wife started a new job. And this oh, is, blame it on the wife. Yeah. Okay, got it. I'm, not, I'm not blaming it on the new wife. New wife. <laughs> new job. You already got me flustered already. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we do have Periscope on today. First time ever, so we're going to have a lot of new faces watching us today. This show takes place every Thursday during the college football season at 11.30 Central, 12.30 Eastern. So join us. This will also show up on the podcast. Uh, Daily. Yeah, College Football Daily. So check this, you can check us out there. So um, looks like we're on Twitter too. I see us on Twitter. Well, that's Periscope. Yeah, Periscope. So yeah, yeah. so welcome, Catch up, man. Okay. Yeah. I'll learn. You're younger than I am. I don't know. How, yeah. <laughs> so so let's go ahead and get started. Quarterback showcase. This uh, thought we'd dive into some quarterbacks. Week one, kind of look at those. Bart, how do you want to attack that? Yeah. Today? So here's what here. I think this is the right way to approach quarterbacks in week one. Is look, it's not going to be perfect. Um, but I think for these guys in these schools, that all of which have high stakes this season, uh, I think we're looking for sort of boxes you need to be able to check. As long as you can check that box, then I think you feel good about what you have moving forward at the quarterback position, um, given the goals that these teams have, the lofty goals these teams have. So these are like minimum requirements. Yeah, and I think that's a good way yeah, to say it. So most of these guys are making their debut in new places, some of these guys are brand new. Some of these guys are very famous college football players who kind of we kind of want to see a, a different vibe from this fall. Let's get started. Jacob Easton at Washington. They're playing Eastern Washington. FCS trap game. Be careful. Barton, you've listed this. Be a master of the offense. That's the least thing he needs to do. Yeah. Uh, I, he's been in the – he was a scouting quarterback last year. Um, he has been in the offense now uh, for a year. So I, I think – there's no reason to ex- – like, the, the knock on Jacob Beeson at Georgia was he didn't have the same grasp of, of the system. He wasn't quite as instinctive um, and natural as, say, Jake Fromm was. Um, so I think stepping in at Washington, taking over from Jake Browning, a guy who did have a master of the offense but didn't have the same skill set physically that a guy like Jacob Beeson has – I think you would like to see, and even saying a master of the offense may even be a, a high bar, but saying a really firm grasp of where to go with the football, uh, I think you know, if, if that takes place, I don't care if he sails a couple, I don't care if he misses a couple, if he's going in the right place at the right time, I think then you're feeling pretty good about your future this season with Jacob Beeson. I have two things on that. It's interesting how little we know about Jacob Beeson. We haven't seen him since really 2016. Uh, he has a true freshman at Georgia. He completed 55% of his passes, 16 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. The second thing is, and I've been guilty of this too for almost a year now, kind of giving Jake Browning a lot of uh, crap for what he couldn't do in Washington's offense. His yards per attempt was number 22 in the country last year. It's two, two yards higher at 8 point whatever than Jacob Eason's was at Georgia. So yeah, Jacob Eason has a strong arm, and I know we're expecting to see that but I was surprised that Jake Browning, who we thought was a limited quarterback in that offense, actually was a pretty, pretty adept at stretching the field. Oh, so, well, and, I, and I think the, you know, Jacob Eason's profile is the complete opposite of Jake Browning's profile. Um, and so if, if some of those deficiencies can look like they might not be as, as, as deficient as we would have expected, um, then I think that's a really good sign for Washington. All right. How about Justin Fields? This is an interesting one. We got two here. Take care of the football. Secondly, get on the run, but stay healthy. So take care of the football is obvious. Like, just don't turn the ball over. Um, Because he has, there's been some reports that he's turned the ball over a little bit in practice and tossed a few interceptions. He is, this is like start 16 or 17 of his football life. So there is going to be growing pains. Do the growing pains entail turnovers? I think that's the question. And, and if, if, if you can have those growing pains without turning the football over, 
then I think you can live with that. Like, I don't even care if he completes 45% of his passes. If he completes 45% of his passes, and I'm talking about in this game, game one. Okay. If he completes 45% of his passes and hits a couple big shots and doesn't turn the ball over, I think that you're feeling good about the future with Justin Fields. Secondly, get on the run but stay healthy. The other issue with Justin Fields from a career perspective, dating back to high school, he's had some injury issues. He, they're going to need to utilize his athleticism in this Ohio State offense and yet there's nothing behind him that you can be have confidence in at the quarterback position. So it's a it, it's a it's a catch 22. Well, I mean, Texas has the same thing with Sam Ellinger, but Ohio State needs Justin Fields to be himself. They got the unlock- difference with Sam Ellinger is he's incredibly durable. Okay. Right? Well, yeah, and so I mean, Justin Fields games like, Justin- Look, the, Ohio State has to unlock JK Dobbins. Like 7 yards a carry as a freshman, 4.2 last year. We thought he might be the Heisman front runner entering 2018. He wasn't very good. He, I mean, it wasn't quite his fault. Dwayne Haskins wasn't a threat in the read option. Justin yeah. Fields should be. So, so you, you kind of want to see Justin Fields rattle off some runs, keep the defense honest, be a force in that read option strategy. But I don't. I mean, it's it's hard to say. Do, hey, be yourself, but don't get hurt. Like, well, I'd like, like to see. Like, I'd like to, to see. That. I would like to see him, for example, when he is when he breaks off a run, slide. You know, get eight yards instead of eleven. Get out of bounds before. Don't take any unnecessary hits because you need to be able to showcase that athleticism, be a threat all year long, but they're going to need you all year long. So I think that's important to see that he has that mindset. Are you going to be really worried if he's not good against Florida Atlantic? I kind of, honestly, my expectations are not super high in game one. That's why I'm saying I think it's important to to understand what we should be expecting out of him. We're going to see some pretty throws. Uh, we're going to see some pretty runs, but I'm not sure that it's always going to be going to the right place with the football. I'm not sure we don't see some turnovers. Um, if you can limit some of that stuff, then I think you're in good shape. How about former Alabama quarterback, now new Oklahoma quarterback, Jalen Hurts? Competency in the past game, uh, it kind of goes without saying in, in some ways. I mean, that's been the knock on Jalen Hurts is accuracy, just sort of the, the throw game element. And not that it's a like he's better just in that facet alone than just about everyone in the country, uh, but we're talking about a very elite level here. We're talking about national championship goals, and I think the important thing here is just you'd like to see the flashes of 2018 and not you know 2017. You just don't want to see a regression in game one. His, I have it down here, like his, compl- everything got better in 2018. The problem with 2018 was that was limited duty. Right. That was fourth quarter behind once Tua got them out to a big lead. And, you know, we credit Mike Loxley and Danny Yunus with kind of saving Jalen Hurts as a passer. Let's see if Lincoln Riley can take him to the next level. I'm, I'm not sold that that's there based on what we saw in 2018. I, I still kind of feel like we're going to see the same old Jalen Hurts. Good runner, can make like the right, but not the dynamic throws. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that he's. I don't know that he has to make the dynamic throws. Certainly in this game, I think I I, I have pretty high expectations for what we'll see out of Jalen Hurts because I think that offense is going to create so many open receivers, yeah. so many, so much space. I, I think they they complement all the run game plays and all the RPO stuff so well together that there's always an answer. And I think Jalen Hurts is going to be able to. Uh, distribute the football really well. I, I, like none of that stuff. I think is going to be a problem for Jalen Hurts just hitting the open pass, open receivers. I think there's going to be a lot of open free run receivers. I've got a pre take a palooza, take a palooza. I think he's the second best quarterback on that field on Sunday. Derek King at Houston. I think kind of outshines him. Okay, that's I mean, fair. I, I, dis- I disagree. My pen, but I'm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I need something to fidget. You with. don't really need it. Yeah. Do, I mean, does it feel like people are doubting him though? It kind of does in a way. Yeah, there are people doubting him. I mean, the question with like, if you really want to look at what this game, the question about this game is like, how dominant is the Oklahoma offensive line going to look? And if maybe they're not as dominant as last two years, does that yeah. affect Jalen Hurts? That I'm. I, I, I just think he's not like he's. I don't expect Jalen Hurts to be sailing any passes or like throwing him in the dirt. Like he's going to look sharp throwing the ball as long as he gets the protection, and I would expect he will against uh, Houston. Yeah, because they don't have much on defense. We'll see if we see the wow throws. We'll see if the, the Kyler Murray against Alabama was just like the most ridiculous throw of 2018. Step up in the pocket, launch that with his wrist, 55 yards, ridiculous. 
How about Bo Nix at Auburn? Show us some leg. Show us some leg, Bo. <laughs> is, that, is that even appropriate? I, look, the, the, the key with Auburn and why, there's some, why I've got some optimism, why I think there's reason for some optimism this year, despite starting a true freshman quarterback, is that that true freshman quarterback and the redshirt freshman that probably is going to play some too and Joey Gatewood is an R athletic. Now, is Bo Nix just a guy? Like he, he could run in high school. He ran a 4.5 and change, or a four, low 4.6, I think. Like, legitimate athlete. Probably more athletic than people realize. But is that just... I mean, Jarrett Stidham was a dual-threat quarterback coming out we, of we, we believe that Bo's more athletic than Jar- Jarrett Stidham, right? We do. But again, Jarrett Stidham sort of... That athleticism, at some point along his career, that athleticism disappeared. Because <laughs> disapp- he, like, he was a... Wide receiver, his, I think, junior, sophomore year in high was. school, uh, just did him was, and, and had like a 1,000 yards receiving. Like, he was athletic, really good basketball player, all these things. And he just became Well, a, Auburn didn't want him to do that. Right. So, my, here's my, so I think that's, that's the point here with Bo Nix, is do we see an offense where Bo Nix is a threat to run the football? If that's there, this is another one where I don't, you know, I'm not too worried about, like, what it looks like throwing, because I think that will come I think he's got to be someone that the defense has to account for. How about, I'm sorry, is it pronounced Jack Cohn? Is that how you pronounce it? I think it? it's like Cohn, Jack Cohn. Okay, I didn't know if it's Cohen or yeah. something like that. Jack uh, Cohen. Yeah, I didn't know so. Uh, Wisconsin quarterback. This is a rude one. Be, be a jag, jag, not a bum. Jag means just a guy. Yeah. Like, we don't want you to be anything more than just a guy. You can be a good old-fashioned Wisconsin quarterback. Just don't be a turnover machine. Alex Hornerbrook had like 13 touchdowns last year and 11 interceptions. That's borderline bum status. Like if we, were on a, if we weren't on a family radio show, I would say he was a bum, but I don't want to say that. Jack Cohn, I'm, I'm a polite, pleasant <laughs> dude. Do you, you don't have high expectations for Jack Cohn, do you? No, but I mean, yeah, of course it's great if he becomes a star, but no, I mean, just a guy is good enough. For Wisconsin, as long as you're just a guy that doesn't turn the ball over, take care of the football, complete the passes you're supposed to complete, hit hit uh, Jake Ferguson when he's open at yeah. tight end. Like, you know, I just think... He's just got to hand off his job. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Alex Hornibrook really handcuffed that offense because he just started, he, he was too turnover prone. Um, and, and you got to just give that offense an opportunity to be itself, which is... Pound the rock, give it to Jonathan Taylor. You know what's funny about Alex Hornibrook is he was a nice jag two years ago. We had these high expectations for him in 2018. Kind of reminds me of Brian Lewerke. And then he was he like kind of lost his mind and became a turnover machine. And so maybe it's perfect to set the bar low for Jack Cohn. Just be yourself, Jack. You don't need to be anything better than that. How about Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama? Yeah. Uh, I mean, these two are actually kind of related. Um, take a profit. You had to explain what that meant to me the other day. I mean, it's sort of a common football term, like coaching term. Like, you can't go broke taking a profit. In other words, take the dump offs. Like, don't try to go for the home run every play. Get positive returns on every play. And so what Tua does is he, tr- he tries to he, – he always is looking for that big play. He's always looking to extend. He's always looking to hit a home run. Sometimes he's just got to take that three or four yard dump off. Sometimes he's got to be content to punt it on third down. And if he can do that, then I think that's going to do two things. It's going to keep that offense on the field more often, and it's going to keep him healthier. I mean, that was probably as big of an issue as anything with Tua last year is he he got banged up. He was and, in the and, and look like at this, five I mean, times. This Mississippi State game was a great example. I mean – he kept on doing things like this, trying to stay alive, and Mississippi State was teeing off on him. And by the and he was playing banged up, and that ex, that sort of ex- accentuated that issue with the knee or the or the whatever it ended up being an ankle or uh, and so a whole leg issue. Yeah, it ended up being like a, yeah, really he, a leg. He made it until November last season, that Mississippi State game without throwing an interception. Yeah, he threw four in his last three games: two two against Clemson, two against Georgia. The Clemson was one was a pick six. And also, when you look at the stats, like against Clemson and Georgia and Mississippi State were some of his worst rushing outputs. Like he might average minus seven yards a carry against Georgia. That shows you what he was trying to do. You see it on the screen right now. Taking sacks, spinning around in the pocket, 
You know he actually used the making a profit thing quote the other day? Tua used that. I'm sure. Like it's been, I'm surprised that you've never heard that before. I'm not in the locker room with you guys. <laughs> I'm not a real football guy. Yeah. What else we got? Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford. All right. So Sean Clifford taking over for Trace McSorley. And as great of a leader as Trace McSorley was, in a way the leadership issue, the leadership void that Sean Clifford is going to need to fill that's usually the hard part. And when you talk to people around Penn State, it seems like Sean Clifford has got that. Like he's got great intangibles, um, great leadership qualities, and he's probably a guy that sort of is very capable in, in, in completing every pass in the book. What you'd like to see is a little bit of juice. Just let, let's just see like one big throw, one wow. There doesn't have to be a bunch of them, but just let's make sure or let's give a – Give ourselves, give us as viewers a little bit of insight into whether you can step up and, and be like a big-time player in some big moments here and there throughout the season. Go back and look at photos of Sean Clifford through the years because he, he was at the opening in like 2016. He was a like baby-faced kid. Didn't look like he really belonged. You look at him now, he's got a beard. Probably added 20 pounds of muscle. He looks like he's kind of like the big man on campus, and that reminds me of Trace McSorley. When they named him over the starter – I think unless you were Barton Simmons and had this like innate knowledge of Trace McSorley as a high schooler, you're like, okay, your quarterback's name is Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley was like Baker Mayfield light, swag, like baller. He <clears throat> ends up going down as probably the best quarterback in Penn State history, not named Kerry Collins. I'm not saying Sean Clifford's going to do that, but maybe he can have that kind of umph. I think that's a fair point. Yeah, we, did, we, we really didn't know a lot about Trace McSorley when he took over, and uh, he, he exceeded expectations. So let's see what Sean Clifford can do. How about Kelly Bryant at Mizzou? Well, they're playing Wyoming, and what do you want to see from him? Be a thrower first? Yeah, be a thrower first, because ultimately that was what he was lacking at Clemson. Um, and I don't think that, look, they can get away with beating Wisconsin by Kelly Bryant just running, you know, scrambling, making plays with his legs, um, throwing a couple screen passes and, and them having some success. But... I think you'll feel a lot better about Missouri as a nine-win team, nine and three, ten and two, because those are possible with this schedule this year for Missouri. If you look at Kelly Bryant and, and he's distributing the football around the field, looks comfortable in the offense, looks comfortable as a thrower, and the run is coming secondary to him. So uh, I think that's going to be telling, uh, sort of what his comfort level looks like, just as a from the passing side of it strictly. Hey guys, kind of an unspoken subplot to all these quarterbacks and things we'll be looking for is, A, you better stay healthy, and B, you better look good, because in a lot of cases, the guy behind you might have transferred out of the program. We talked about Jacob Beeson earlier, and behind him, you had Colson Yankoff transfer to UCLA, and then 24 hours after Eason's named the starter for Washington, uh, Jake Hayner enters the transfer portal. Ohio State, you've got Justin Fields in, but you've got Tate Martell out, Matt Baldwin out, uh, Wisconsin, Alex Hornibrook out to FSU, Alabama, um, you got Tua back, obviously, but last year you needed Jalen to carry you across the line in the, in the SEC championship game when Tua got hurt. So, um, and, then, and, then, and then in Oklahoma, where Jalen is now, Austin Kendall tra transfers out to West Virginia, and you're probably turned into a true freshman and Spencer Rattler or something happens to Jalen. So these are kind of on a razor's edge, especially with some of these guys you want to carry the ball for you like Justin Fields, like Jalen Hurts. It's like weird when you look at the top teams in college football, how vulnerable they all are. Yeah, I think, I mean, the reality is, I mean, the Jake Hayner one threw me for a loop because I felt like he was someone, I mean, he had to know Jacob Eason was the like, like who was who the, the coaches wanted to pick. He hung in there, yeah, battled. How do you not know that? And, 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 Loses out on the job um, week before the season, and then he's in the transfer portal, and that's fine. And I'm not, and and I will always be pro player in that sense. Go do whatever you want to do to make you happy. Go find the field if that's what's most important to you. And I understand if that is what's most important to you. But I feel like there's a little bit of of losing the forest for the trees in terms of what a backup quarterback can mean to a team. We have five college football playoffs at this point, and six teams in those five years have needed a backup quarterback somewhere along the way. Tua, Jake Fromm, Ian Book, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts. 
Um, Cardell Jones, Jones won the national championship. I mean, the, these are every year. We, we, we have a, God, a, a team that has to turn to the backup. And it's not like Jacob Eason. I mean, he's been injured before. I mean, they might. Washington has playoff hopes, I'm sure. And Jake Hayner could be that guy. And so not to pick on Jake Hayner because I, 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 that's not what this is about. I, I, just, I think at some point we're going to see quarterback depth really be. Like, I'm just thinking about off the top of my head some teams that actually do have quarterback depth. South you know, Carolina. <laughs> South Carolina. Helensky. But I, Oklahoma. I, but I, okay, let me put let Michigan. Me, let me rephrase it. Yeah, playoff caliber teams. Oh. So Michigan, Oklahoma. I think, is one. Oklahoma. Oklahoma is one. Does LSU, Miles Brennan, does that count? Like he's on the border. I don't think we know. Um, but I think that's an area where, like, you know, hey, some of the some of the real favorites here. Like, hey, Chase Bryce might be pretty, like a quality I mean, backup. He beat Syracuse last year. Yeah, so I mean that, Travis Etienne's 300 yards rushing. The real interesting thing, real quick, I know Josh is itching to get to some questions. What happens, I'm just saying, what happens in January? What happens in February when Jake Fromm goes pro early, Tua goes pro early? Alabama and Georgia are going to duke it out for the best available grad transfer quarterback on the market, and we don't know who that is yet. Yeah, unless Talia Tonga-Vailoa no. is, the, is the next guy. Or Max Jones, hey, I don't yeah. know. Former Kentucky. Commit. That joke. There you go. <laughs> we work Kentucky in there. I had to do it. Uh, Connor, are you ready for some questions? Yeah, we've got a trio of questions here from Facebook. Um, let's start with this one from Harry Bryant, a Michigan fan. Quarterback we didn't talk about, Shea Patterson, uh, in that opening uh, segment. Uh, Heisman candidate? Harry's calling it. Yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, he's certainly a Heisman candidate. I, I talked... Uh, with Kevin Flaherty this week uh, for, on, for a story he was writing on Shea. And I do think that, I mean, the, the best thing about Shea is the fact I think he's a modern quarterback that's now being paired with a modern offense. We've seen flashes of him before uh, at Ole Miss in this offense. Uh, that was very early in his career. He was trying to be Johnny Manziel a little bit too much back then. I think if Josh Gaddis can successfully make this an intuitive offense, that allows Shea Patterson to just distribute quickly to open space, there's a chance he could really blow the top off his career here and really look sharp. Um, so I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch because he is he's built for this, um, and he's, he, he's got a great skill set to be successful in this offense, and uh, you know Michigan's counting on it. It's cool that 2016, the guys in the 2016 class, the quarterbacks, Shea Patterson and Jacob Eason, this is a statement year. It's been a, like 2019's a statement year for them. This is Shea's last go at it. Jacob Eason has one more year of eligibility. So we're still kind of in a way waiting for both of them to live up to the hype. Florida is off this week, but Preston Humphreys wants to know, did Felipe Franks show his, and I'm substituting a word, but, or was he just getting his team fired up against Miami, of course, punting the ball into the, into the stands? I went after. to high school with that guy, by the way. Whoa. Just, Thanks for bringing us some, uh, some... With Felipe Franks. Yeah, I mean, just... <laughs> no, Preston Humphreys. <laughs> you um, keep dropping stuff. I know, I'm having a problem here. All Felipe right. Franks wasn't good against Miami. Does yeah. he deserve the right to trash talk? Is that a thing that you deserve? Like, do you go earn the, earn the right to talk mess? Does not, I, don't think it, I don't think deserve has anything to do with it. I think that could rub you the wrong way. You cannot like it. You cannot like Felipe Franks because of it. That's your opinion. You're welcome to have it. What was the guy's name? Barry? Preston. Preston. Uh, Preston. Preston can, he can have that opinion, and, and, or so can anybody else. But I think if, if you're Felipe Franks, and if that's kind of who you are, if you, if you, are, if you can motivate, your, like if you're self-motivated by kind of talking back to the haters, you know, shushing the crowd, talking to the camera, punting it, whatever. Like if that's what gets him going, then all right. Punting in the ball into the crowd should not be what needs to get you going. I'm not saying it should be, but I, I, I don't know what Felipe Frank's motivation is. He, like some people just aren't going to operate most efficiently by being quiet, I'm not, humble guy. I'm not asking Baker you to be a quiet and humble guy. Yeah, Baker Mayfield did that once the game. Baker Mayfield planted the flag when that game was over. When they went to Ohio State and won, Felipe Franks is punting balls in the crowds, talking. Oh, he punted to the crowd after they won. Okay. I thought he did that during the game. No, he did after. Well, he still talked a lot. Of well, he was talking the- a lot during the game. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. I, didn't, like, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, if somebody's talking trash to you, I'm going to talk back. It's just me. 
So, I mean, especially, it's, you're fired up in the game. It's in the moment. I don't, I mean, I get it how it looks, but I don't, I don't care. Felipe Franks is the starting quarterback at the University of Florida. He's won a lot of games. He certainly won a lot of games last year. And he can't catch a break from his own fans. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. If yeah. that, like, if, if he's, if, if. I think if you he, want that. Yeah, I mean, I, if he, as long as, especially as he's winning, all right. And not only, it wasn't a great performance by Felipe Franks, I didn't think, but I'm not ready to write him off yet either. Okay. Christopher Simmons says, roll tide. I'm not concerned for Alabama after Moses' injury. Alabama will do just fine. I feel like our panelists might have some disagreeing opinions, moderately disagree. I'm not, I knew you were to my, to my knowledge, I'm not related to Christopher Simmons. You went long on the College Football Daily podcast this morning about uh, the two freshman linebackers who are going to step up for Dylan Moses. Spare us a scouting report. Tell us how bad, though, this injury is for Alabama. What was my guy named Christopher? All right, Christopher. Christopher, you might be right. Christopher Simmons, you might be right. Alabama might not need Dylan Moses. Um, They are certainly better with him. They're a lot better with him because at the linebacker position, that is probably maybe the only position on the field where they're truly thin. Uh, Josh McMillan was already hurt. Uh, They got a true freshman starting next to Dylan Moses that played cornerback in high school and he is now starting at inside linebacker uh, as a a summer enrollee at that. Christian Harris. So Christian Harris was going to need that shepherding from Dylan Moses. He was going to need someone to get them lined up. Now we got two true freshmen starting in the middle of the defense. They don't need Dylan Moses to beat Duke. They don't need Dylan Moses to beat Tennessee or South Carolina. They could probably use Dylan Moses when it's LSU when it's Georgia, when it's Clemson in the national championship game, if that's where they get to. So um, they absolutely can still win this whole thing. But I think Dylan Moses is probably, I still think Tua is a more, would have been a tougher pill to swallow. But Dylan Moses is a close second. You're a noted waffler, and I asked you this yesterday, now that you have 24 hours to think about it. Would you like to change your national championship pick from Alabama to Clemson, given the Dylan Moses injury. I'm giving you the chance right now, and if you say nothing, no. we're locking this in until December. <laughs> I mean, I, wanna, I, I would like to just stick with my pick officially. He's, he's giving say, himself an out. No, I, I'm not giving myself an out. I'm just saying, yeah, it's, it's uh, like... Dude, we'll see. very tempting. We'll see. I, no. We'll see. Whatever. Had we, had, had, were we making the pick now, I would probably change it to Clemson. Okay. No, but we're not making the pick now, so okay. we'll stick with but that. But he's at least mentioned that he would change as a Clemson. Connor, are we good? We got any more? Uh, that, that's it for fluid, now. Trey. Yeah, just, right. fluid. just keep hitting us with uh, comments and questions. We're going to have a fan of the, uh, fan of the week yeah. a little bit later in the show. So, Trey, overreactions? Yeah, Let's get into that. so I'm a big, Barton's a big waffler. I'm a big overreactor. And so You're emotional. You're I'm very an emotional, emotional person. person, emotional fan, emotional employee, emotional friend, whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about overreacting. Let's talk about things that we're going to see in week one that by the time we get to the office on Tuesday, because we have Monday off because it's a holiday, by the time we get to the office Tuesday, we're going to be going gaga about. We're going to be freaking out about all these things. Let's start. Same old Sooners. Where's the defense? Houston's coming to town on Sunday in Norman. Derek King, Dana Holgerson, they're going to put up points on Alex Grinch's defense. One of the worst defenses in the country last year. Probably the only reason OU doesn't have at least one national title in the last two seasons. So we're going to be on Tuesday and Wednesday saying, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again. Walk me off that ledge. Okay. Yeah, so here's how we're going to frame this. Well, I just You, this is your overreaction, (laughs) okay? I'm going to walk you back. Of course. Okay, And and so here's why, Trey, after this game this weekend... All those points were scored. Because I'd be really upset if OU's defense doesn't look good. Right, I know. Well, you need to chill out and not get so excited about Texas's chances <laughs> to beat Oklahoma now that they gave up a bunch of points to Houston. Because, A, this thing's about to be a track meet. And Derek King is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. B, because Houston's defense is so bad, it's going to turn into a back-and-forth ping-pong match. C, this is Alex Grinch's first game as the defensive coordinator. He is going to change the culture of this defense, but you don't change the culture of a defense in one game. So there's still going to be some busted plays. 
There's still going to be things they need to iron out, but I wouldn't start counting your wins just yet if you're Texas. Oklahoma's got time to fix it. That's interesting that you said the culture thing. Chris Hummer wrote about that after Big 12 Media Days. Alex, the players said that's the big, that's been the toughest part of this overhaul is believing that they can actually like play defense. Like they are so in their heads about how bad they've been the last several years. It's like an issue right now. So thank you for walking me off the ledge uh, or pouring cold water all over me. The second one, first impressions are everything. This one was tough, but we wanted to loop all the new OCs into kind of one category. And so this could either be good or bad. This could be USC lights up Fresno State or Michigan lights up MTSU. And Josh Gaddis or Graham Harrell is the best thing since sliced bread. Or Kendall Bryles' new offense at Florida State looks horrible. And you can just go ahead and ship him out of town with Willie Taggart. Why is that an overreaction? Right. So either you're either going to be thinking these guys are total bums or they are the absolute saviors, future head coaches. I think neither of them will be right based on what happens this weekend. Uh, at Florida State, you know, that's, A, that's a really good team. So, and you know, this could be playing in probably some inclement weather. Uh, there's an offensive line that's got to be fixed at Florida State and at USC. I don't think that's done overnight. There's a, there is a, um, uh, you know, they've got to find some continuity, some confidence in just sort of week over week progression. So, uh, I think even if, a, even if these guys all blow it out the water in week one, I mean, that still is sort of just, hey, first tape uh, for these teams with new offensive systems. How's it going to look? I think the, and, and I think with Josh Gaddis at, at Michigan, I just think MTSU is going to be overmatched. And it's going to be, I would expect that to look good. Um, and, and so we shouldn't go overboard because MTSU just doesn't have the, the athletes. So if Michigan drops 60, that doesn't mean that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and, and I think alternatively if, if, alternatively, if Michigan sort of disappoints and only puts up 35 points or something like that, 31 points, then let's not jump to the conclusions there too because this is ultimately Josh Gaddis' first game calling up yes. offense in his career. And particularly with FSU and Boise, especially with the game now being moved changing venues uh, just 48 hours ahead of kickoff uh, because of Hurricane Dorian. Um, you know, th there might be a number of reasons to discount what you see in that game, especially on the Florida State side of things. When Boise State, part of the reason Florida State might look really bad on Saturday is Boise State's just really good in the pass rush. Their front seven was really strong last year, eighth in the country in sack rate, and Curtis Weaver had nine and a half sacks. And he's a rising junior right now, so maybe it'll depend a little bit on when he ultimately comes out, but kind of getting some early round draft pick buzz uh, for the NFL draft coming up. So they got a potential early round draft pick against one of the worst offensive lines in football. Uh, I mean, this is a, this, I think this is a fun particularly for USC and, and uh, Florida State, these are fun matchups and tests to where, you know what, like they shouldn't have to be like clicking on all cylinders, but they still better have at least, you know, their, their B-plus game to, to be able to beat these two teams in, in uh, Fresno State and Boise State. So uh, we, can, we can learn something from these. Don't, don't get me wrong. We just shouldn't, you know, stamp these busts or successes by week one. One of the worst passing defenses of last season comes to Lincoln on Saturday, South Alabama. I think Adrian Martinez is going to light him up. He's already got 10 to 1 odds to win the Heisman. Adrian Martinez has a 10% chance to win the Heisman Trophy in the preseason. Husker for Heisman, give it to me, man. He's going to throw for like 450 and five touchdowns. Yes. Adrian Martinez is probably like if there was if there was like a prop for uh, Heisman uh, keyword next to Adrian Martinez in social media, uh, you know, take the over for this game because I think he is going to put up that kind of point, that kind of um, production. But ultimately, he doesn't become a Heisman true Heisman contender until he has a performance against one of the bigger name programs on his schedule. And that probably doesn't come. And frankly, given the schedule doesn't have a lot of beef to it, he probably has to have a big game against Ohio State what to, is that? to truly be contended. September 28th. September 28th. So September 28th. You think Scott will invite us up? Is when, is when Adrian Martinez's Heisman campaign begins. It doesn't begin after South Alabama. So, Trey, 
Pump the brakes. It's just South Alabama. Well, that's you're such a buzzkill. All right. Maybe the biggest game on Saturday. Actually, it is the biggest game on Saturday. It's the only game between ranked teams, Oregon versus Auburn. I'm going to freak out either way. If Auburn loses, <laughs> fire up the Gus bus and drive it on out of town because this guy is done. Yeah, okay. So there will be a lot of that. Yeah. You will not be alone in that one. And... The, I mean, look, we've, we've, we've talked about this before when against Clemson and Washington. I mean, there's so much at stake, it feels like, always with Gus Malzahn. And this is going to be another example. Hey, if they do lose that game, hey, SEC losing to the Pac-12. Mm. Um, he hadn't even gotten into the SEC slate yet, and they're already losing big games. But Barely survived but the, keeping his job last year. But the months. beauty of it with Gus Malzahn. And particularly when you got a true freshman quarterback and this loaded defensive front, there's going to be growth at the quarterback position. There's going to be – they're always going to be in a game with that defensive line. And so because there's all that beef on the back end of the schedule, they, they beat an LSU or they beat an Alabama or they beat a Georgia. Georgia. Man, he's back in it. Right. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. What does he have to do to keep – like get people off his back? I don't know. Nothing. I mean, I mean, I don't know what he does. There's nothing he can do to keep you off his back except for win the win. This playoffs. is going yeah. to happen until he makes a playoffs or he gets fired. Like, the, we're going to do this every single season. Yeah. We're going to do this every single season. We've done it every, yeah, every single, every, every, every show we've had yeah. or every year. So yeah. he's a staple of the hot seat, and I cherish that. I cherish <laughs> that about him. It's All a, right. It's comforting. It's comforting. Gus we will always have it's, people come and go, but Gus Mel's on on the hot seat is here to say, what if Oregon loses? Right? The Pac-12's playoff hopes are going to go down with the Ducks. I feel like this is a... Because this is a statement game. For, this is a referendum on the I mean, Pac-12. Everybody is saying this, right? Like, everyone in the country right now is talking about this being, like, all the eggs for the Pac-12 are in this game. And, I, I mean, it is a huge game. I mean, there's no denying that. But I do think, I mean... To preseason pin all the hopes of the Pac-12 basically on Oregon beating the SEC is, is for, first of all, we don't even know where Oregon stands in the pecking order. People are, like, assuming that they're probably one of the best teams. I think they are probably one of the best teams. But, you know, USC could cycle up with Graham Harrell. Stop. They could. I mean, they got, they got the fourth most talented you roster in the country. Have, you have I'm talking, done this. Allow, me to, go, done this allow me to go through these scenarios. Okay. All right. All right. They could cycle up. You've got Utah, which I think is the best team in the Pac-12. You got Washington, which has been the toast of the Pac-12. You got Arizona State, which is playing really well right now and, and is is a, a young team aging with a talented freshman quarterback. Like there's a lot of ways this can go. And I'm not saying it looks good for the Pac-12 if they lose this, but to, you know, I don't think we should write the obituary for the Pac-12 with this one game until we even really see where Oregon stands in the pecking order. If Oregon starts going out and blasting everyone in the Pac-12, all right, now all of a sudden, if this is the best the Pac-12 has to offer and they just lost to maybe the fifth best team in the SEC, we'll see. I think probably a lot of the reason you're seeing so much Pac-12 anxiety right now is just some of the more big picture issues that people are worried about with, with the conference, with them not having a team in the playoffs since 2016 and kind of all this concern about the player pool feeding into these programs, are they are too many of them going east? Are too many of them going to Texas, Georgia, Clemson? And even within within the guys that are staying, are too many of them deciding to play other sports? And now you've got the Pac-12 kicking around ideas like 9 a.m. local time kickoffs. Is that right? Or is it noon local 9 time? 9 a.m. local. Time. Yeah. yeah, which sounds insane and problematic on a number of levels so i don't like are we big picture really concerned about the future of the pac-12 or do we kind of think we're at a low ebb right now and and in a couple of years we'll be talking about them like the we're talking about the big 12 now as a as a conference that's kind of on the come up well in a few years like this is all i think this will be the narrative until we hit realignment in the mid 2020s but the pac-12 is i think we can all agree like the worst of the Power Five conferences. And per perception, Connor, I'd love to hear your opinion. I don't hate the 9 a.m. idea. Well, I think the best argument against it that I've seen is how early you have to get up to 
prepare to play in a 9 a.m. game and how does that how does that play in recruiting and there are 12 hours between 9 a.m. 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. that would probably just be fine like just have a lot more three o'clock three thirty and then those come on at six eastern like I don't think yeah, that's I mean nobody sees those games late at night that's the problem yeah, that's I mean, I mean, on the East Coast, at least, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you got a lot of games that'll come on after the game that goes off at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN, and people are tuning out then. So I think that's a big problem. Not a lot of eyeballs are getting on those games and see what's going on out there. So yeah. I agree. It's a tough spot. I mean, I, I just know, honestly, from – I played a noon kickoffs every game of my college career, and I was still wiping the sleep out of my eyes sometimes at, like, 11 o'clock. And, I, I mean, in college, like – most people have a a later uh, internal clock mm-hmm. in college. You're not going to bed now, I mean, until like some, 1 a.m. Yeah, I mean, some of these schools may sort of fix that by just having practice every day at 6 a.m., and I guess that's an answer. But that just doesn't sound like the great, a great experience if I'm getting up at 5 a.m., 4.30 a.m., for whatever they have to do to get prepared for a game and be fully ready. Um, and, and conversely, like, if it's going to knock the experience – uh, the game day atmosphere, which is also something that the Pac-12 gets knocked for c- as compared to the SEC and sort of the fandom there, like that isn't a, isn't a net positive. So I don't know what the answer is. I mean, 9 a.m. kicks, it's all, it feels to me like just, hey, might as well try something. Yeah. But it doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem that compelling to me either. All right. It's time for this week's Boiling Point. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Boylard and welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our publishers to the test by asking them a few pointed questions. Ohio State has dominated the Big Ten East for most of the college football playoff era, but now Urban Meyer is gone and some believe it's Jim Harbaugh's turn at Michigan. Here with me today to preview the new look Ohio State Buckeyes is Dave Biddle of Bucknuts on 24-7 Sports. Dave, Ryan Day is about to embark on his first season as Ohio State's full-time head coach. Now, he spent the first three games of last season as the interim head coach, but now that Meyer is out of the way, is Michigan the favorite, or does Day have Ohio State ready to win another Big Ten title? Well, I, I think it's really close between the two teams. I really do. And I know, like, if you ask the majority of the media, they have Michigan as the favorite. Vegas has Ohio State as a slight favorite. And you look at the two polls so far, the AP and the coaches, Ohio State's a little bit ahead of Michigan. You know, uh, we can use the cliche to uh, to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. But I think that does not apply in college football when rosters turn over so much and when you have a new head coach. If it was almost the same roster, same coaches, okay, maybe that would apply. But with uh, it being Ryan Day's first year, with Jim Harbaugh now completely settled in, his fifth year, all of his guys – Ohio State with a new quarterback, Michigan with their quarterback back. The game is in Ann Arbor. I can see why a lot of people are picking Michigan. I personally think Ohio State has more talented team top to bottom and the deeper team. Now, it's going to depend on how Justin Fields plays, but uh, largely, but I think this defense is going to be a lot improved, much improved for Ohio State. But I think it is close between the two teams. Again, Michigan already has some depth problems on their offensive line, so that's something to keep an eye on. But I think it's really close between these two teams this year, especially when you consider the game is in Ann Arbor. I think we both know, Dave, the biggest factor that will determine Ohio State's success on the field is the quarterback position. And the Buckeyes will break in Georgia transfer Justin Fields against Florida Atlantic this weekend. Fields has some big shoes to fill after the departure of Dwayne Haskins and is largely unproven. Is Fields really up for the task? I think he is. He won't be, you know, as good as Dwayne Haskins was last year, to say the least. Dwayne Haskins put together the best season uh, by an Ohio State quarterback in the history of the program, in my opinion. I mean, I know Troy Smith won the Heisman and, and Dwayne didn't, but, um, you know, I think that was 
partially because of, of who was in the Heisman race that particular year, those particular years, I should say. Um, I think he's going to have an up-and-down season as a sophomore, first-year starter. He's not played a lot of football. You know, Getting on the field, getting his feet wet at Georgia last year as a true freshman was good. It sprinkled him in there just a little bit. Um, you know, But still, he hasn't played a lot of football. He was a two-year starter in high school, uh, just now entering his sophomore year. So I think Buckeye fans and college football fans in general can expect some up-and-downs from Justin Fields. But overall, I think he's going to have a good year, Kevin. I think uh, – I don't think he's got a great year, but I think he's got a good year. He's got a big-time arm. Uh, I think the biggest thing is going to be to watch is his accuracy and his timing. That's going to be the big thing that I think is going to go up and down with him. But he's got a big-time arm, and he can run the football. And I think in some of the lesser games, so to speak, they are going to try to not run him too much as far as called quarterback runs. But in the big games, they're going to have to use him as, as a runner because that's one of his – that's one of his strong suits, and it'll help open up J.K. Dobbins and the running backs if the quarterback is more of a rushing threat, and it'll open up the passing game. So that's one thing Justin Fields will bring to the table that Dwayne Haskins did not is the threat to run the football. Dave, thank you so much for stopping by. We'll see what Day and Fields can do with this Ohio State team. In the meantime, make sure you're following Dave on Twitter and reading his work over at Bucknuts on 247sports.com. All right. Thank you, Kevin, for that. Hey, we're back, and we got a fun ga- game to play. Uh, favorite part of the show. Favorite part of the show. It's Josh's Big Bet. So how this works, if you missed it last week, Josh went to the World Series of Poker this summer and won $22,000. He doesn't like us telling you that he won $22,000. Because he thinks like y'all are going to try like, to rob, rob him or, him or ask him for money or like whatever. But it's public record. He's got and he won $22,000. Distant relatives. He has he AirPods. He got a new car, buy a new house, whatever. So every week, Josh has to bet $22,000 on a bet that he doesn't know yet. He's going to get to choose. We're going to give you this envelope, okay? And we want you to open it up and read it out. And the moment you open that envelope and read it out, you're going to have 15 seconds to decide your bet. And, and to explain your bet. Explain it. So we want can't, decision. So no no him and Holland. Don't be careful with the opening, man. What? Can you imagine being a surgeon? You'd butcher the patient. No him and Holland. Read it out. <laughs> Notre Dame at Louisville. Notre Dame's a 20 and a half point favorite. Start the clock. Uh... I don't like this at all. That's a lot of points to uh, be given a team. Whoa. Uh, I, but Louisville. state rivals. Yeah, the Louisville I, buzz all year. That's a, that's a lot of points. You know what? I'm going to say Louisville plus 20 and a half. Wow. wow. Very disciplined approach. I can see why you want all, all right. that money. But $22,000 <laughs> in for Louisville plus 20 and a half. We didn't think you had it in you. Big blue. I, Going with the cards. I, yeah, I definitely did. That's on Monday night, right? Is that the one? Yeah, that's a, that, is, were, that place is going to be rocking. We it's thought blackout you were game. Scott Satterfield this, Scott Satterfield that. That was good stuff, Josh. If, hey, if he covers that spread, maybe he is up there with Mark Stoops. Mike Stoops. Mark Stoops. Because <laughs> you, you're really big on flip-flopping here, are you still picking Louisville to beat Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm wow. still there. Wow. I hope the We'll good see. I'll tell him. I'll, I'll, uh, it'll take me about three weeks before I'm ready. And to it's all because there. you took a trip up to Louisville. Is that correct? Uh, oh, wow. It's not all because I, I just. When, I, when are you taking your field trip up to Lexington? Uh, I, I took one last year. Oh, and you they, did? And they let me down. I actually picked Kentucky to cover the spread against Georgia, and they got smoked. He was humiliated. I was, Georgia. I, Georgia's I was, like a super team. I was messing around thinking they might be able to upset Georgia, and, and then yeah. they made me look bad. So I've always I've kind of got a grudge against your boys right now. All right. Well, you know, I don't want to get into it right Good now. Good pick, Let's, Josh. Uh, yeah, thank you. So I'm excited about that. Also, we do have the one from last week. I picked, uh, what, Kentucky to cover the spread against Toledo. Yeah, but don't really, worry about that. So we got 44000 on the line. We got a lot right, of money. Right, right, right. So just wanted to f- remind everybody about that. All right, so let's it, uh, take a balloons of time. These guys are going to give some hot takes. Okay. For the week, it's Trey. Let's go with you, buddy. I, d- I nailed this last week, I ha- or last year. In week one, I had FCS Nickel State beating Kansas. FCS is going to knock off an FBS every year in week one. I thought about doing it again to Kansas this year. They're only a four-point favorite against FCS Indiana State, and they don't have Puka Williams, and Les Miles hasn't done this in a while. But instead, I'm going to FCS James Madison, the number two FCS team in the nation, beating West Virginia. West Virginia is a seven-point favorite. So what? Who cares? Neil Brown's going to get the job done eventually, but they have a lot of questions in Morgantown, a lot of attrition, like a lot, like the most in the nation. James Madison beats them. Uh, okay, I think I'm gonna. I, I think Indiana State's gonna win. So I'll, I'll go head to head for you, FCS versus FCS. That's not your take. That's though. not my take, though. My take. And this is another classic Barton doozy. <laughs> what does that mean? It's just something about the Mountain West right. has like appealed to you. 
Okay, my, my take, if you're done critiquing it before I've even said it, is the Mountain West is going to pull off at least two upsets over Power 5 teams this weekend. So just to give you a couple of the options here, Nevada versus Purdue. No way. For, yeah. That, I, oh, the other ones are possible. Okay. That, that's not. that is absolutely okay. a possibility. Fresno against USC, Boise against Florida State, Utah State at Wake, Colorado State against Colorado, Wyoming, Missouri. There's going to be at least two of those games where the Mountain Which West Which two wins. would you like to say are most likely since you have all these takes? Uh, I'd say that Boise or uh, Utah State probably most likely. Yeah. yeah. I think you – I actually – I'm actually, I'm actually on Wake Forest covering the spread here, but I just think if you're looking at for a potential upset, um, because Utah State has Jordan Love at quarterback, anything's possible. All right. Uh, I can't wait to what, – what West Coast-type take he has next week. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Appealing to our Nevada audience. Thanks, Nevada. Paul. All right, let's hit uh, Connor back up with some more questions. Yeah, so we got a question from William Wagner. William was browsing the 24-7 sports team talent composite that came out earlier this week. And he was noticing that Clemson's ranked ninth, USC is third, OSU second, FSU is ranked higher than Clemson. Uh, He wants to know, what are the chances of a team ranked outside of the top ten winning it all? Well, let's take a look at the team talent composite. Who's outside of the top ten? Uh, Notre Michigan, Dame is, Auburn is, Michigan, Michigan A&M, is. Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington. Probably Michigan. I mean, that's, I guess, your best bet. Um, Why doesn't Michigan recruit better? They recruit fine. They're just right on the cut. I mean, that's just, I think that eh, 11, 12, like that's sort of the threshold of elite to me um, in terms of year in, year out. I mean, if you look at the teams above Michigan, the Oklahomas, LSU. You know, Georgia's, I mean, those are all, I mean, those guys are all recruiting at a, a different level. So um, they are recruiting well, and probably well enough. Uh, I think that's sort of the threshold. 11 or 12 team talent is sort of well enough to win a national title, or play for it at least. Maybe y'all are keeping these takes holstered for, um, for the pick segment coming up next, but uh, Tyler May on Facebook wants to know uh, what we think of the Auburn defensive line matching up against the Oregon offensive line. Ooh. I mean, what a fun week one matchup that is. You know, I think uh, it's I, – I, I think Oregon may legitimately have the best offensive line of college football. I mean, Georgia's got to certainly say in that uh, – Alabama's is strong, Michigan, you know, yeah. Michigan Wisconsin. But I think Oregon has a, a strong case that they could be the t- top offensive line in of college football. And I would say Auburn probably is the best defensive line in of college football. I can't think if there's someone I like better, but that's going to be a phenomenal matchup. And, I mean, that's what's cool about this, this crystal ball uh, invasion, this, this, the crystal ball in movement. Super Mario. Super Mario movement is, he is he's really sort of trying to create an SEC roster um, in terms of their style and body types that they're trying to recruit there. And this is going to be the first big test for that. So it's going to be a fun, fun, fun matchup to watch. Les Miles has been talking a big game over at Kansas. They've got some – they've listed in their team goals. They've got winning a national championship on there. Uh, Jeremy Radcliffe wants to know, does Les Miles get Kansas on the right track? If so, how many seasons before a bowl game appearance? Ooh, wow. I don't know if he does. Like, I'm starting to wonder if he really does get them on the right track. I don't, I don't think he does, <clears throat> but I do think he'll recruit well. I think I like the recruiting class this year. I think that they've put a significant amount, a significant emphasis, prioritize it in a way that Les Miles sort of knows how to do. So they're, I think they're going to be better, have better players. I just, I'm not confident that the coaching is going to be there they got a ways to go, and unless you have really great, innovative coaching, I don't see how they get there. Uh, their, uh, their hires are not impressive. I agree. All right, it's time for the Fan of the Week. Uh, this week it is from Stephen Ward on Facebook. Cool. His question is, guys, would you put Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger in the f- top three quarterbacks this year? First of all, Josh, I said Ellinger. Ellinger, I'm sorry, I keep doing so that. So let's do this in our heads. Trevor Lawrence... Tua Tungavailoa, and then you got Jake Fromm or Sam Ellinger, but for my money, Sam Ellinger would be Jake Fromm heads up on a neutral field. Yeah, Sam Ellinger is a top three quarterback in college football. No one is more important to his team. Uh, 
Am I alone here? Well, what mean, do you think? What do you guys? That's his Heisman pick right here. That's true. <clears throat> I think Sam. Did you flip on that one? No, no. I think Sam Ellinger is arguably the most important player in college football, uh, and I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I can roll with top three. All right, cool. Yeah. Trey, did you see the graphic? The Texas official account mm. tweeted out of Ellinger like having a conversation with Vince and Colt. I had to go take a cold shower after. That. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Uh, all right. Was that too much? Yeah, I mean, you're pushing <laughs> this a lot. <laughs> a little bit there. Uh, all right, let's get into some picks for this weekend. I'm excited. <laughs> We did horrible last week, I believe. I think all f- four of us were 0 and oh, one and one. Did yeah. Oh, okay. Did you pick? <laughs> did you pick Miami? Uh, I thought I had. I thought I missed one, but never mind. Oh, excuse me. I had the floor. We game. all picked Arizona to beat Hawaii. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had, yeah. I had it the wrong way. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, all right. Let's get started. UCLA at Cincinnati tonight. Cincinnati is a two and a half point favorite. Yeah, Connor. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of teams in the, in these picks where it's flawed teams going on the road. I don't feel great about it, but I think UCLA will have improved enough to get it done and get revenge from Chip last Ke- year. Yeah, Chip Kelly's had a lot of time to prepare for this. He's better coached than Luke Fickle, I, I guess. Uh, UCLA. I don't know if they're better coached than Luke Fickle, but I do think the that the improvement will be dramatic. Year one to year two, year zero to year one, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I also think the loss of Cortez Brown, Marquise Copeland. James Wiggins, their starting safety, uh, is out with an injury. Uh, but, but primarily losing those three really good group of five defensive linemen up front is going to help out UCLA's run game significantly. I, I, I am sort of betting on player development at UCLA, and I think this they show up week one and win it. Cincinnati, they're at home and they're favored. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, all right, number 14, Utah. Six-point favorite at BYU, the Holy War. Also tonight. Yeah, I, I feel a little squeamish going with the away team here, but I think Utah has the strongest unit. Uh, their defense will be the strongest unit on the field, so I'm going with the Utes. Utah's got its eyes on a playoff push. Can't lose this one. Utes. I actually think Utah could go 11-1 and one and this be their loss. I think this is a really scary game, but I'm going to go with Utah just because, you know, they're – if they're going to be top dog in the Pac-12, you, you got to start off strong. Even when you pick a team, you still couch the possibility they might lose. Because this is college football, and weird <laughs> things happen. And just because Utah is going to win doesn't mean it's not going to be a really close game. I think a lot of people are calling this like Utah should be the like. Is this the best game tonight? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's going to be a, a war. Like I think it's going to be an absolute bloodbath and it's just because those two teams hate each other they play so physical that's a tough place to play this is always a close game um but uh, you know but i'm going with utah i think they're the better team i agree i got uh, utah i think they're gonna be making a push for the playoff they gotta win this game give me utah tonight number 19 wisconsin is a 12 point favorite at south florida yeah, I think Wisconsin's vulnerable, but their offensive line is great. Great running back. I think they'll get it done on the road. South Florida has not won a game since October 20th. It's not going to happen against Wisconsin, who I don't even love this year, but South Florida is just that weird. South Florida was 11th out of 12 teams in the AAC last year in rushing defense. Wisconsin was third in the country in S&P Plus rushing offense, and USF was 90th in rushing defense. Uh, not a recipe for an upset. I think Wisconsin rolls. I got Wisconsin. South Florida's not beating them. Give me Wisconsin. Uh, Ole Miss at Memphis. Memphis is a five and a half point favorite. Yeah, I, I picked uh, Ole Miss here. Um, I, I feel like this could be a boomer bust team. You, when you look at the coordinators they brought in, that situation could either work really well or really badly. Uh, I, don't, I don't know which one it's going to be, but for now, I'm going Ole Miss. I don't know if Memphis is going to go 12-0 this year. There's a lot of talk that they might. I do think they win this game. Better quarterback play. Play really well at home. Tigers. Yeah, I mean, everyone's talking about Memphis may be the best group of five team in the country. This is a, this is in some ways like a all-or-nothing type of game for Ole Miss. Like I, they kind of have to show up and play well here. Um, I think Memphis wins. I think that they're better. Uh, if Ole Miss figures out a way to win this thing, then I might start to recalibrate the way I look at this team. But I don't think Ole Miss is going to be very good this year. Yeah, Ole Miss is down. Memphis is supposed to be really good. So give me Memphis there. Uh, Boise State. Florida State. 
All right, so the game has been moved to Tallahassee because of Hurricane Dorian. Yeah. Is that the name? Okay, so I believe the line is now up to five and a half. Yeah, with the news of the, this game moving, I'm feeling a little bit more squeamish about picking Boise State, but I am, I've decided to stick with the Broncos. Uh, we'll see what that stadium environment has looked like having to put a game together and 48 hours notice at, uh, at Florida State. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's like, I don't think it can, I don't think it's gonna be like a raucous Florida State crowd. I think it's gonna be kind of a dead game, bad weather. I'm, I might regret this later. I'm going Boise State. Florida State burned me so many times last season. I, I just do not trust them. I think Florida State's defense was better last year than they got credit for. Uh, they dealt with bad field position all year long. They were always sort of playing with their backs against the wall. I think that they will be up to the task facing a true freshman quarterback in Hank Bachmeyer for Boise State. Uh, and I think if the offense is just a little bit better, just competent, I still think they've got the athletes to win this game, now, especially now that it's at home. So I, I actually, early in the week, I was thinking Boise, but as it got closer, I started thinking true freshman heading down to, to, to Tallahassee. Um, give me Florida State and the athletes. Do you think Cam Akers gets back on track? I hope so for the sake of just college football. I mean, just give them a little room to run. Just don't let them get hit in the backfield. And we got a chance to see some really fun college football plays. Give me Florida State. Florida State's had to listen all summer long how bad they are. Those coaching staff, the players, how bad their offensive line is. They still have talent on this team. They got to go, Boise State's got to travel to Florida. And there's, you know, the hurricane conditions and everything. So give me Florida State. I really like them there. Virginia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Pittsburgh. Look, I don't feel like I have a strong feel on what we're getting out of Pitt from year <laughs> to year or week to week, but uh, I don't love Virginia's offense enough going on the road here, so I don't feel great about it, but I'm going with Pitt. You don't really remember the 28-0 shellacking they put on those Gamecocks? Uh, I'm going Virginia. I kind of thought the line might be bigger. Well, yeah, I mean, Pitt won this game last year, and so I think that's sort of what inspires this line. Um, and I mean, it, I could see that happening just because these two teams, it's hard to figure out like sometimes which one's going to show up. But I think to me, Rashad Weaver, uh, Pitt's best defensive lineman out for the year. Ooh. They're losing two 1,000 yard rushers from last year's team. The pass game has not yet shown that it's really going to be able to carry this team and they couldn't run the ball in their own spring game. So I think Virginia wins this game. Uh, I got Virginia as well. Uh, quarter, is quarterback Bryce Perkins is his name? Yeah. yeah, I like him a lot. I think he's really good. And I think they could be the second best team in the ACC, so watch out. Uh, let's see here. Northwestern at Stanford. Stanford is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, last year was pretty weird for Stanford. Their running game was weirdly terrible. Um, I kind of imagine that's going to bounce back enough for them to get a win here, even against a good Northwestern team. Stanford still has an identity crisis it needs to figure out, but Northwestern hasn't even figured out its quarterback situation, so I'm going Stanford. Yeah, I mean, Northwestern, sometimes, Northwestern could win these kind of games, but you just don't know how. Right. Like, you can't figure out how they win it. Um, this is certainly could be that case. I just trust Stanford more. KJ Costello, like you said, I do have some concerns about Stanford sort of finding an identity again, but we at least know they've got KJ Costello, a quarterback. We know they've got Colby Parkinson at uh, tight end. We know they have Walker Little at offensive tackle. Like, they got a bunch of NFL guys on that team. Uh, I think that they win um, with, with uh, particularly Northwestern traveling across the country. I will take Stanford. I was actually getting ready to say that. They have to travel to Stanford. Don't like that at all. I'll take Stanford. South Carolina is a 10-point favorite against North Carolina. And this, what what did this line open up at? It, it's really it's jumped up. seven. Yeah, six so, I mean, it's really gone up there, so. Yeah, um, if this game were a little later in the year, I might be more tempted to pick North Carolina to pull the upset, but with Mac Brown kind of inheriting a year zero situation and South Carolina having a pretty experienced team, I'm going with my Gamecocks. I'm so sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going Gamecocks. They're going to get after Sam Howe, man. They're gonna get after him. Yeah, this is a tough, I think for a, a South Carolina team that has gotta win this game. When you look at the rest of their schedule, like they can't afford to not be totally focused on getting a win here. And with Sam Howell, true freshman, I, the reviews from camp haven't been as glowing as I would like to hear. 
in order to expect him to come in and win in this sort of a game. So I think South Carolina wins. I've heard a lot of chatter about the South Carolina team being pretty good this year, so I will pick the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, let's go Houston at number four, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a 22 and a half point favorite. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going Oklahoma here. I mean, might see some points, Oklahoma allowing some points, but uh, the Sooners will get it done. I'm not going to lie and say I didn't think about it because Houston's got Ooh. a lot of offensive fireworks and Oklahoma's defense has not proven us any, anything yet. Plus, they're breaking a new quarterback and four offensive linemen, but I'm going Oklahoma. But I think Houston covers that, and I'm excited to watch it on Sunday. That's my Sunday activity. Good for you. Uh, Houston's got a good enough offense to win this game. Mm -hmm. They don't have a good enough defense to win this game, so I got Oklahoma. That's a lot of points. Uh, I got Oklahoma, too. Um, just, just better. Just give me Oklahoma. Uh, and finally, the big game of the day, or the weekend, number 11, Oregon, versus number 16, Auburn. Auburn is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, I think Auburn's defensive front will give Oregon enough problems that they have to air it out a bit, and that lack of wide receiver depth for the Ducks really starts to show up. So I'm going with Auburn. I think two months ago I was going to pick Oregon. They don't really even have a wide receiver to throw to. I'm not worried about Auburn starting a true freshman quarterback because that defense is so nasty. And if uh, Anthony Schwartz is playing, I really like Auburn's chances. So I'm going Tigers. Well, I, I was like you. I think a couple months ago I liked, maybe even a month ago, I liked Oregon to win this game because I was thinking, all right, true freshman quarterback versus a Heisman contender and maybe a first-round NFL draft pick. But the more I thought about this, the more you look at how Gus Malzahn loves creating these game plans, particularly early in the year, that just keeps it close, gives him a chance. And I think he does the same thing in this game, and that defensive line is enough to lean on. They scheme up a couple big plays, and Auburn wins this game. Auburn's defense is going to be nasty this year. I like them a lot. I mean, there will be a lot of Auburn fans at this game. I think Auburn wins by two touchdowns. Well, there was absolutely no way you weren't going to pick the yeah. SEC. You're a big SEC guy. Josh is in a fantasy football league with college football with SEC teams only. Um, I thought you guys should all know that. Hey, we're going to take a quick look at the viewing slate for this weekend on 24-7 Sports. We just talked about the games to watch. Here's what you should watch for us. On Friday, we've got a live video game stream, Mike Verse. You guys should absolutely watch that. Friday, Threadheads, debut of the Ted Uniform Report. It's a big one-hour-long spinoff of that. I think you guys will really enjoy it. And on Saturday, Barton, myself, and Kevin Boylard will be here in the office watching the games. You guys can watch us watch football, and we will get paid for it. So we are pretty excited about that. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Periscope, YouTube, Twitch. Find us there on all of those things. You might have to get me on there for a Kentucky game. Yeah. Watch one of those. That might be fun. We're going to bring Connor in, too. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, great show today, guys. Really appreciate it. I thought it went a lot better than last week for sure. Uh, you don't have to say that. Well, just, you know, we, we have our preseason, too. It's because so. you had your tan. You've got something to say, obviously. I, I got nothing to say. You're ruining our good show right now. I thought we had a great show. So, <laughs> just end uh, the show. Thanks to Barton, Trey, Connor, everybody in the back. Thank Colin, you, Ted. Yeah, Ted, Mike, uh, Boiler. Kevin, Boiler. Helping Football's us out. here. Football's here. We will see you next Thursday, 1130 Central, 1230 Eastern.